Well, tonight we're beginning a new series, uh, Summer Baggage, Weighed Down by the Baggage We Carry. You know, in uh, Phoenix, we only have two seasons. Have you noticed that? What are they? I don't know. It, yeah, hot and hotter. I heard hot and cold. I think it's hot and hotter. Um, this is not the right time of year to be talking about our seasons. But, um, you know, during the summer season, like you, uh, we pack bags and we, we go away for a little bit. How many of you have packed some bags and you've taken a little vacation um, this summer? Uh, if not, I hope that you'll have the opportunity to do that. Um, probably the worst part of vacationing for me is the packing and the un- it's the lugging of the the luggage the bags around right um this year we did something a little different we went on a road trip so we we flew to new england and uh we got out we flew into providence we got out we got a rental car got in like i don't know 11:30 and when you land in in the Providence Airport, for one, it's a small airport. It's nothing like Phoenix, right? So, but you walk and you walk. It's, it's the smallest state in the Union, but I swear they have made their airport make it, they've made it feel like the biggest state in the Union. Like literally, to get from where you get off the plane to where your rental car is, I was wondering if we were going to see a welcome to Massachusetts sign. I mean, there were times when we were driving around Rhode Island and we had to go to, through Massachusetts to get to where we were going um, in, in another part of northern Rhode Island. And so, um, but lugging the bags, man. So we got out, we, we, we went to where we were staying the first night, and then you know how it is. Uh, you get up the next morning, you pack the bags, you put them back in the car, you go to your next destination, you pull them out, you put them, take them up, lug them up to the hotel room, and we're traveling with four of us in a cooler and, and uh, uh, just one bag just for shoes, you know? I mean, we had five pieces of luggage and a cooler and a bunch of food we were carrying, so you had to lug all that stuff up to your hotel room, sleep, and then in the morning, you had to do the whole thing over again. And you do that night after night after night, and you start thinking, man, this isn't vacation. This isn't rest, man. This is, this is exhausting. And it's these bags, you know. And the, the, the greatest, uh, the most enjoyable thing, I think, with those bags was when we got to get home and unpack those things and put them away. Can you imagine getting home from vacation and taking your luggage and deciding, you know what? This has been a fun vacation, and I just want to remember this. And so I'm just going to hang on to my bags, and I'm just going to do this for the next year, right through the next vacation. Nobody does that. Why? Why don't we do that? Uh, because the weight of it, because it's, it's a hassle. Uh, what I want us to think about over the next couple of weeks is the fact that just like throughout the year, we have these seasons. We have summer season. We go on vacation. Well, there are different seasons in our lives, aren't there? I've been through different seasons of of life. I feel like as a church, we are going into a new season. We have been in different seasons as a church. And what happens is this. I'm afraid that sometimes what we do is we, we carry the baggage from one season to the next, and, and these, are, these are emotions, these are things that weigh us down in life. And we go from season to season, and we just keep toting the same bags along. 
And so what I'm hoping to do over these next couple of weeks is identify some of these heavy bags that we carry through life and recognize that Jesus invites us to exchange this baggage for his peace. That's what I hope to accomplish over the next couple of weeks is that we would stop carrying these bags, these heavy weights that we may be carrying. So tonight we begin with the very first bag, and it's the baggage of bitterness. The baggage of bitterness. And here's our text tonight. If you have a Bible, we're in Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 14 and 15. Our text says, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and defiling many. So here's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at the root of bitterness. We're going to look at the repercussions of bitterness. And we're going to look at how to remove bitterness from our lives. So let's begin with the root because it says here in our text, you see it there in the verse, the author of Hebrews says that we should not, we should make sure that we don't allow any root of bitterness to spring up. So let's talk about the root of bitterness. Here's the truth. If you go to the, uh, the first slide, the next slide there, here's the truth that we're going to see here. We've all been hurt. How we deal with the pain is what matters. Say that with me. We have all been hurt. How we deal with the pain matters. So I want to give you a couple thoughts about the root of bitterness tonight. The first thought is this. Like a root, bitterness starts small just like a seed. Do you see it there? In the, the, you see the picture there? The little seed you ever had a garden? How many have ever planted anything from a seed? We had a garden in Connecticut. We had a little, I don't know, 10 by 10 box that stood up above the, the rest of the yard, and it had some real fertile soil in it. But we didn't start with seeds. We started with, you know, we went down to a, a local nursery, and we bought some plants that were already rooted and, and, and growing. And, you know, I went out the next day. I'm like, let's go. I want some cucumbers doesn't happen that way. But if you've ever started from a seed, you, you, you know how, how small, you put that little seed in the ground. And you're hoping that that seed, right, you're hoping, you're praying, you're going to do the work as far as watering, cultivating, and all of that. But, but you know what's going to happen with that seed. But, but this is how bitterness begins. It doesn't start as bitterness, Bitterness doesn't start as bitterness. Bitterness always begins with some unforgiven pain. That's the seed of bitterness. The word in the Greek, that word that is translated bitterness, comes from this word which gives us this indication of meaning. It means to wound by piercing. We've all been wounded. And so what I believe the seed of of bitterness to be. It's just some unwarranted hurt and unwarranted from our perspective. From our perspective, we don't deserve the hurt that has been inflicted upon us. And I have a question tonight. Who hasn't been wounded? Anybody? Is there anybody in the room who's never 
been wounded by someone else? Never been hurt? Of course not. None of our hands are up. We've all been hurt by the actions or words of someone else. Maybe it was a, a parent who constantly criticized you when you were growing up. You're never good enough. You never were able to measure up to their expectations. Maybe it was a colleague who sabotaged your work, your project, something that you had been, uh, was near and dear to your heart, some project that you were working on, and they sabotaged that. Maybe they began spreading rumors about you. Maybe it was someone at work. Maybe it was a spouse. They said something that cut you to your core. They rejected you. They, they hurt you in some deep way. A friend who let you down didn't keep their word. Who is it who's wounded you? A sibling? Sometimes it's even a brother or sister in Christ. Honestly, sometimes it's a pastor. Someone who should know better as brothers and sisters in Christ or, or as someone in the ministry. We should know better than that, right? Who is it who has wounded you? And the truth is, perhaps all of these people at one point in our lives has wounded us, but everybody's been hurt. Everybody has experienced pain inflicted by another person to one degree or another. Maybe it was intentional. Maybe it wasn't intentional. Maybe the pain is only, or the hurt is only imagined. Maybe it was not something that was actually done to you, but somehow you feel that somebody has done something wrong to you. You know, some people just let this sort of thing just kind of roll off their shoulders and they go on with their life, but, but others stew over these things and never let it go. Well, when bitterness comes, it comes when we allow the seed of that pain, the disappointment that comes with it, to grow into resentments as we nurse a grudge over some past hurt. So the seed is an, is an unwarranted pain, an unwarranted hurt. The soil that the seed grows in, I, I've labeled an unforgiving heart. So you take the, the pain, you take the hurt, and you put it in the, the life of a person if we're not willing to forgive that pain, and what you have then is you have a seed of bitterness that is going to begin to take root. Ann Peterson, in her book, How to Deal with Bitterness and Resentment, she says, our lack of forgiveness is why we choose to hold on to bitterness. While it looks like we are unable to forgive, sometimes we need to face that we are just simply unwilling to forgive. So you see, we've all been hurt, but how we deal with it, it's, it's what matters. And, and at times we don't deal with it right. We, we're not willing to forgive, and so it develops into bitterness and resentment. And so simply, bitterness is a choice not to respond to a painful situation through God's grace. It starts small, simply not choosing to respond to the painful situation through the grace of God. So like a root, Bitterness starts small. The second thought here is this, that like a root, bitterness develops under the surface. 
I mean, that's how a, a root develops, right? It just sprouts off the seed. You don't, you don't see it unless you go digging in the soil. You don't, you don't know it's there. It's, it's camouflage. The, the seed is, is hidden. And the truth is, seldom do you ever find anyone who's willing to admit that they're a bitter person. Try it sometime. Ask somebody, are you bitter? I'll tell you what the response is nine times out of ten. No? <laughs> of course not. We don't, we, why? Because it's, it's below the surface. It, we, sometimes we don't even recognize that the root has already begun to grow in our life. Why? Because it's there under the surface. But you know what happens? If you start digging around the roots of bitterness, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find things like sensitivity. Just when a person is just on edge, very touchy. You have to be careful what you say or do around a bitter person. They tend to take things personally. You know, like, you know, when, when you walk into a room and there's two people in there and they're talking and they stop talking when you walk into the room, right? A, a bitter person will, want, will, will think, were they talking about me? Why'd you stop talking, Right? Just, just this sense of they're out to get, someone else is out to get me. Uh, something else you'll find as you dig around the roots of bitterness is insincerity. Uh, sometimes it's harsh criticism. Other times it's just uh, vain flatter, they're just insincere. When, when stuff comes out of their mouth, you, you can't really trust what they're saying. It's the, their, their level of truth is, is not quite right. Uh, sometimes it's cynicism that you find as you dig around in a bitter heart. And that bitter person thinks that everything and everybody's out to get them. Sometimes it's grudge holding, of course. Uh, bringing up past offenses is what a bitter heart does. Sometimes it's just being very accusative. But if you start digging around the roots, you're going to find, you're going to touch a nerve that is going to reveal that underneath the surface there is this bitterness that has begun to root. And what happens over time, the third thought here, is that like a root, bitterness grows stronger over time. Isn't that how it works? Well, let's just be honest tonight. We have all experienced this in our life. And I'm going to, I'm going to admit to you, I have personally been through these phases. And I'm going to be real honest and transparent and tell you, it hasn't just been once. It's been a couple of times. Been a couple of times. I, I've, I went through a period of time in my life where I was bitter at God. I, th I thought God had let me down. And I, it, was un, it was an unwarranted hurt as far as I was concerned. God didn't deserve to do what I thought he was doing. And I was bitter and I was angry at God. And you know what happens over time, man? That bitterness grows stronger and stronger and stronger. And it begins to take over your whole life. Have you ever seen a, 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 a potted plant that when you maybe you're going to transfer it into some soil and you pull that potted plant out and all the, the soil comes with it and you look at it and the roots have just completely, in, you don't even see much soil. It's like all roots. Church, that is what bitterness will do in our life over time. If we allow it to grow 
And we, we just nurture that, and we nurse that grudge, we nurse that bitterness. That root is going to grow stronger and wider, and it's going to grow deeper in the soil of our lives. It is going to consume our life. It's going to begin to consume our relationships. That's the root of bitterness. And what happens? This is number two the repercussions of bitterness. Because if we allow a bitter root to grow, here's what happens. Bitter fruit will show. Say that with me. If we allow a bitter root to grow, bitter fruit, it's gonna show. A bitter root will bear bitter fruit. Sometimes we don't even know how much bitterness consumes our, our thoughts and our feelings. And before we know it, we're so fully entangled by its roots. We're captured in its claws. But, but, but know this, that once that root of bitterness takes root, it's only a matter of time before it springs up. Now look at our text. The writer of Hebrews says there in verse 15, make sure... That no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness, what? Springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. It grows hidden under the surface, but eventually the fruit becomes visible. And when the root of bitterness becomes visible, it causes trouble. It defiles Many. What happens? It consumes our care. It consumes our love for other people. It consumes our, our gentleness that existed before. And eventually it just begins coming out in our actions. And after many months and after many years, we may not even remember exactly why we were bitter in the first place. And all that's left is the fruit. A bitter root will produce a bitter fruit. How bitter is the fruit? Do you want to know how bitter the fruit is? Take a minute and just turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. And, and Paul gives it to us. He shows us how when that root of bitterness springs up, what it begins to look like. Are you there? Ephesians 4.31. He lists it. He says, he says that, uh, let me turn there. It's on the screen, I think, right? Yeah, it's on the screen. He says, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. That's what happens when bitterness springs up in our life. He, he, first, he, he mentions there malice. What is malice? The Greek word has the idea of heat, that which is hot. Now, we kind of have a little idea of what that's about, right? Just walking into church tonight. You felt the heat as you walked. Just standing by the windows in the foyer uh, before the service, man. I was like, I, I got to get away from these windows. It's hot. Well, wrath is that inward smoldering, right? You've been hurt. I've been hurt. We know what this is. We've been hurt. We're upset about it. We start thinking about it. We start nursing that. We're like, man, I didn't deserve that. That was really hurtful. Why would they do something like that? Don't they know who I am? Don't they know that I care about them? Why would they say so? Why would they do that? And what happens is over time, man, it just begins to smolder. The temperature begins to raise on the inside 
And what happens? Well, it eventually explodes. Anger is when what's been building on the inside bursts outward. It's that explosion of emotion that easily flares up with even just small provoking, right? Just a little word, just a a question, and boom! We're angry, we explode. You know what this is like, right? I know what this is like. The adrenaline kicks in. You feel it right here. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? All right, I just want to make sure I'm not the only one. You feel it right here. And the truth is, the explosion of anger may not be directed at the person. It may have nothing to do with what started the bitterness in the heart. You could could have been hurt by person X and be driving down the road and person Z get angry at them. You could walk into work and your boss says, hey, Today I need you to do this, and bam, you, you blow up, and there's just pieces of Dave all over the office, right? What, and they're like, what happened to Dave, you know? You walk into the kitchen, and man, somebody says something, and bam, Dave blows up. You know what I mean? It's like pieces of Dave everywhere, and they're like, what's going on with Dave? Well, it may have nothing to do with what just happened. You could probably trace it back, though, to some root of bitterness that has been growing on the inside that just puts us on edge. And once that, that root begins to spring up, it's gonna, there's going to be wrath, there's going to be anger. What's next? Shouting? It's kind of self-explanatory, right? Right? When we get angry, we lose control of our tongue. We get loud, don't we? to express our frustration, to express our anger. Our volume goes up, our tongue starts to run, and it gets ugly, and people start to clear out, right? They're shouting, and then there's slander, Paul says. And when all those bitter feelings are being lashed out with bitter, hurtful, spiteful, angry words, man, our words can become just razor sharp, cold, hostile words. In fact, I think what happens is I think the devil comes alongside of us and he starts like helping us know what to say next. Have you ever been on an angry tirade and you come back to your senses and you're like, what just happened? What just came out of my mouth? I don't mean any of that. I would never, would you ever say any of that? Would you walk into the office and say, just, you know, vomiting verbally all over everything? No, when, when we come to our senses, we're like, why, what's going on? That's, that is the fruit, that, that is the fruit springing up, and you can trace it back to a problem, pain, hurt inside the heart. And it finally, look, look what he says here, he uses this word malice, and that is the desire to actually hurt somebody. You see, left alone, bitterness can easy de- easily develop into feelings of revenge, wanting to get even, and it may not even happen. You may not even get revenge on the person who originally hurt you. You may end up getting revenge on people who aren't even related. Do you think that people, we could ask Jim this question, because Jim works with 
tracks these people down and finds them. But do you, Jim, do, you, do people wake up on just a bright, sunny morning in Phoenix and decide to go out and kill somebody just like they were a happy-go-lucky guy on Monday and Tuesday morning, they're ready to kill somebody? I, I, I would have to think that you, you can trace that back. How many of these guys who walk into Walmart and start shooting the place up? How many of those guys, you could trace that back, you could go back to his home life, you could, you know, growing up as a kid, you could, you could go back to, to all the different things, the hurt that is, the pain that has developed in his heart over time, and the bitterness is like that plant inside of a pot, and the roots are just so consuming his entire heart that, man, when that springs up, man, it is, it's gunshots in Walmart. It's walking into a school and shooting little kids. And you think, how in the world? How in the world does a mother kill her own children? How in the world does this happen? Church, I'll tell you how it happens. It doesn't just happen as a fluke. It happens, you can trace it back to people not dealing with their pain. What do we do? How do we deal with pain? We, sometimes we try to drown it, right? with a bottle, with drugs or something. We, we, try to, we try all sorts of things, sex or, or recreate. We try all sorts of things to deal with our pain. When those things don't happen, man, and that fruit starts to show, it can get really, really messy in church. Listen, what we have to recognize is that Paul is writing this to a church. He's writing this to good church people, saints. He's, he's writing this to me. He's writing this to us. We can have hearts full of malice, but it's not just going to happen. It's not going to start with malice. Just like bitterness doesn't start with bitterness. It starts with an unforgiving heart with some unresolved pain. It's where it starts, and it festers, and it grows in our life. And so here's what happens with this root of bitterness. Man, the repercussions are, uh, uh, the author of Hebrews says it. He says that, that when this root of bitterness springs up, what does it say? He says it causes trouble, and it defiles many. So what's that mean? It means it will trouble you, and it's going to trouble other people. It's going to trouble me. When I allow the root of bitterness to take hold in my life and I nurse that grudge, I nurse that resentment, it is going to hurt me. It's going to trouble me. How does it affect me? Well, here's some things on the screen. It'll affect me physically. It will affect me emotionally. It will affect me spiritually. And it will affect you the very same way. You, you can do the research. Google it. You'll find what Bitterness does physically to a person. They say that bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other guy to die, you know? We're so angry at someone who hurt us, so we drink the poison, but it just kills us. They go on with their life, oftentimes unaware that we're so bitter of them. Sleeplessness, high blood pressure, ulcers, heart attacks, strokes have been linked to those that are controlled by the stress of bitterness and unforgiveness. Emotional effects, sorrow, depression, 
troubled spirit, irritability, isolation, obsessing over getting even, a constant negative perspective that, will, that affects the, the entire outlook of one's life, casting a shadow of discouragement and resenting, uh, resentment over all of our thinking patterns. Bitter people are the saddest, most miserable people on the planet. And I've been there. Have you? And I have to tell you, it's true. When I am bitter, I am miserable. Miserable. Emotionally, physically, it has a spiritual effect. In fact, if you look at this, if you keep reading here, it talks about Esau in verse 16 down 17, 18. 16 and 17, or yeah, 16 and 17, I guess it is. But you know, bitterness in Esau's life drove him to a life of immorality. And that's what can happen. A marriage can be destroyed through pain that is unforgiven and unresolved. And that can completely blow up a marriage, immorality, all of it can happen in a home. You see, when we allow bitterness, it just simply leads to more and more sin. And Paul made that clear with the wrath and anger and slander. But there's other things, jealousy and, and greed and dissension and, and, yes, even immorality. Why is it, church, that we tend to sin in response to being sinned against? Why do we do this? Why do we, we've been sinned against and so we go on sinning in response to it and when we do, we just add trouble to our troubles. Our text says this, look at verse 14. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Look what he says in verse 14. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Now what is he saying? Is he saying you ain't going to heaven? You're bitter? No, he's not saying that. He's talking to believers. We, we you know, Look at all of Scripture. I believe in the eternal security of the believer. He's not talking about seeing the Lord, being in heaven. I think what he's talking about is the fact that our fellowship with our Father gets severed. When, when there's bitterness in our life that God's not going to be real to us. He can't be real to us. There's this, there's this, this, this veil that almost comes between us. Yes, we're still his son. Yes, we're still eternally saved. Yes. But there's a problem in our life. Our prayers are hindered. Our heart isn't right. The spirit of God is quenched in our life. We won't see God's face. Why? Because bitterness hinders our fellowship with God. Why? Because God is holy. We've sung about this tonight. Without holiness, we won't see the Lord. And hatefulness and holiness don't dwell together in the same heart. Bitterness is never acceptable to God. A true story is told about uh, Leonardo da Vinci, right? The, the great inventor and uh, famous artist born in the mid-1400s and from what, I, from what I've read, da Vinci had this raging run-in with a fellow painter just prior to the completing of that renowned painting, Last Supper, The Last Supper. And we've all seen that, that picture, that painting, right? 
Well, Leonardo was so maddened and embittered about what this guy said or did that he decided, get this, to paint Judas as the face of this other artist. <laughs> now, you think about the sweet revenge of that. For, the four, for hundreds of years, people are going to look at him and say, ah, there's Judas there, right? The face of this little rat that so angered him, so embittered him, sweet revenge, branding this guy with such dishonor and scorn to future generations. So he did it. When it was complete, people came in, they saw it, like, oh, that looks like that guy. So the story goes that when the last face that, that he was to paint was the face of Jesus. He did Judas's face. He painted as this guy. When the next face he was going to do right after that was the face of Jesus. And he said that he, ju- he tried and he tried and he tried to paint the, faint of, the face of Jesus and he couldn't do it. He's like, all the other 12 just came to me. Simple. Did it quickly. But I couldn't paint the face of Jesus. And it baffled him. And finally, in his frustration, he recognized that perhaps this was because he had painted the face of his enemy as Judas. And so he went back and he repainted the face of Judas. And then he went to paint the face of Jesus. And it came and he did it. Perhaps that's just a little lesson to show us that we cannot paint Christ into our own life while painting others with strokes of ill will and hatred and vengeance. But isn't this what we do? Isn't it? In our own mind, in our own heart, we see the face of that one who's hurt us. We paint it with bitterness and hatred. How do we think that we're going to see the face of God? How do we think that we're going to uh, reveal the face of God to others? How are we going to have a, a, a walk with God when we're, when we're holding this bitterness in our heart? We can't be bitter toward anyone and be right with God. And so I think that willingly allowing roots of bitterness to grow over our life, in our heart, over our Christian life, is willingly and knowingly letting Satan grip us. Allowing him to have a stranglehold in our life, and it will bring trouble and devastation into our lives. The effects of bitterness are like picking up some, uh, some hot burning coals and holding them in our hand while we're trying to figure out uh, how to, you know, the timing and, and how to hit the one that has hurt us, right? We're, we're, we're getting our aim. We're, we're ready to project them. And while we may be successful at throwing those hot coals, they, they bounce off the person that we're so angry with. Who's been hurt through all of that? Me, holding the hot coals. Church, let us recognize tonight that bitterness 
the seed of bitterness, the root of bitterness will trouble us and it will defile many, the author says here. There's this chain reaction. There's this poisonous contamination. We see this throughout the scripture. You read about in Deuteronomy 29, 18, when God warned Israel that he was gonna curse their land for allowing idolatry or root of bitterness to go unchecked among them. We see Absalom's bitterness toward his father, David, spread throughout all of Israel to the point where David had to run for his life. That's how bitterness works. Not only does it hurt me, but it's going to trouble other people. You say, Dave, you don't, you don't understand. You don't understand my pain. You don't know how I have been hurt. And the truth is, you're right, I don't. I don't know that. But I do know that harboring and carrying the heavy baggage of bitterness is going to hurt you and it's going to hurt me and it's going to hurt the people around us so that brings us to removing the removing of bitterness here's the truth we can break free from the heavy root of bitterness i want you to know that there is hope waiting for you tonight there is hope when it comes to bitterness we have just Two choices. It is either to fester it, let it fester in our life, or to get rid of it. And hopefully tonight, we want to get rid of it. We want to break free from the heavy baggage that is that we've been bearing in our life. And we don't want to carry that baggage into the next season of our life. Paul wrote to the Jesus followers in Ephesus. He said there in Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness be removed from you. Let it be removed from you. Truth is, it requires a choice on our part. We have to choose to let it go, to let it be removed from us. And so tonight, I think our text here in, in Hebrews indicates there's two parts to the cure of a bitter, bitter heart, and there's our part and there's God's part. So let me try to show you this. First of all, I, our part in this is first we have to recognize the bitterness. If you look at the text, the author says, he says in verse 15, make sure, make sure that no root of bitterness springs up. The word make sure there could be translated see to it. Watch carefully, guard against it. You see what he's saying? He's saying that we have to recognize it, that we have to be on guard for the, this root of bitterness to make sure that it doesn't spring up. So we have to be able to recognize this bitterness in our life. Or, or when there's pain in our life, we have to recognize that we need to deal with this pain before a root of bitterness is allowed to take root and spring up in our life. We can't control how people treat us. We can't. I know sometimes we try, but we can't. But what we can do is monitor our own heart's condition, and we can humbly recognize bitterness that's taken root. And what we have to remember is that, look, it's, it's easy to deny. It's really easy. I mean, we may even think that this message is for somebody else or somebody I know. There's somebody that needs to hear this message. And perhaps that's true. But I think it's easy for us to think, not me, I don't, I don't have any bitterness. Remember, it's, it's under the surface, oftentimes. 
We tend to justify it. In fact, I think sometimes we even feel self-righteous about our bitterness. I've experienced this where we, we see the wrong that has been done to us and we almost feel righteous in the sense that we feel like we're judging their sin accurately, how they've wronged us. When in reality, what we're doing is nursing sin ourself, bitterness in our own self, and it grows and it becomes this heavy baggage that we carry until it's removed. And so it's easy to disguise. It's easy to deny. But to break it up, we have to be willing to recognize it. We have to be willing to look in our own heart and recognize it when it's there. You say, I'm not even sure that it's there. Well, that brings me to God's part in this. And I believe that if we will choose to do what God says here, to make sure, <laughs> that if we will choose to make sure that there's no root of bitterness in our heart, to, if we're looking to recognize it, I believe that God will reveal it. This is Psalm 139, right? You know the verses 23 and 24 where David says, search my heart. Know me, Lord, is there anything in my heart? Is there anything, any wickedness in my life? Why not tonight pray and say, Lord, I don't know. I don't think that there is, but you show me, Holy Spirit. Is there any root of bitterness that's in my life that I have glossed over, that I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm not aware of, or I've justified it in my mind? Holy Spirit, would you show me? You see, I believe that when we are willing to recognize it, God's grace will reveal it to us. Second, on our part, I think we have to repent of the bitterness. Well, that just makes sense, doesn't it? Once we've recognized it, the Holy Spirit points it out in our life, well, immediately, uh, 1 John 1, 9, right, we're to confess it. We're to say the same thing about it. Homo legato. Say the same thing about our sin. Recognizing this is bitterness. This is sin. This is against your will and your plan for my life. This is against what's good and holy. What you want for me, God. And so we confess our sins. And when we do our part of repenting of it, God does his part in removing it. Amen. Don't you love what 1 John 1.9 says? That if we confess our sins, what is he? He's faithful and he's just to do what? To forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Church, there's no reason for us to pick up the bag of bitterness and carry it into the next season of our life when God, when God will remove it out of our life. If we will simply come to him and confess it for what it is, God will remove it. God will rip it up by its roots. Let the Holy Spirit of God do a radical surgery in your heart. Third on our part is that we must then replace bitterness. We have to recognize it in order to repent of it. And once we repent of it, we need to replace it. And what do we replace it with, Dave? Well, if you go back to Ephesians 4.32, he tells us, he says, let all this bitterness and anger and wrath and malice, let that all be removed from you and be what? Kind. Forgiving one another. So what do we replace it with? We replace it with kindness. 
We replace it with forgiveness. We choose to forgive. We choose to keep no record of the wrong, to be merciful, to be gracious, to pursue love, and all that follows forth from it, as 1 Corinthians 13 would indicate. So we we replace it with kindness and forgiveness. What we also, I think the author of Hebrews here points also, verse 14, that we're to pursue peace and holiness. So we replace that bitterness with, the, with kindness, with forgiveness, with peace, and with holiness. See, the absence of bitterness allows the Holy Spirit to be himself in us. And what that means is, it, it means that, that now I can become more like Jesus. And trust me, being more like Jesus is the day you want to know. You don't want to know the Dave, the other Dave. You don't want to know the Dave that was crucified with Christ. And the truth can be said of each of us, right? When the bitterness has been removed and we are forgiving and kind, the Holy Spirit is able to give us peace and produce holiness in our life. You see, removing the bitterness is an invitation for the Holy Spirit to give us peace and joy to produce his fruit in our life. And when his fruit springs up in our life, what is there? There's love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and patience, right? Long-suffering, self-control. I mean, it is all there, all the fruit that will make us be that person in our world that, that's like Jesus, that person that walks like him, that talks like him, that lives like him, that loves like him. Isn't this the, the person that our children need, that our spouse needs? Isn't this the person that, that where we work? Isn't that the person that, that is needed in your workplace? Isn't that the, the people that are needed from a church in a community? Spirit-filled believers, not bitter ones. There are plenty of bitter Christians. Let's not, let's not carry that baggage into the next season of our life. Not, let's not carry that baggage up to Happy Valley Parkway. Let's not carry the baggage of bitterness. Let me deal quickly with a few objections. Here's the first one. If I forgive, who will take care of me and take up my cause and nurse my wounds? And that's a fair question. Who's going to take care of me? I've been hurt. And look, I understand. I'm not trying to make light of any hurt that you've ever experienced. I'm not trying to make light of that. Please don't read it that way. But what I want you to know is that when we forgive... God takes care of us. God takes up our cause. God does. We have to believe that God knows all about it, that God saw what happened, and that he can bring about good in spite of it. Study the life of Joseph, right? The life of Joseph. There's a guy who had every right to just be a bitter, bitter guy. Think of Christ and the cross. There was never a time where it looked like injustice was winning more than on the cross. And yet, that was when God was doing his greatest work. 
Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Think of Christ. Objection number two, if I'm hurt, are you just telling me to be walked on? No, not at all. Listen, forgiveness is not approving what they did. It's not justifying what they did. It's not denying what they did. It's not pretending we're not hurt. It's not refusing to take the wrong seriously. It's not even forgetting about what's been done. Love doesn't erase all of our memories. It actually is a demonstration of greater grace when we are fully aware of what's happened and we choose to love and forgive anyway. I don't think we're any more like our Heavenly Father than when we choose to forgive in the face of terrible hurt that has been inflicted on us. Nor is forgiving refusing to confront someone in their sin. In fact, often the first part of overcoming evil is confronting someone in their sin. I guess the other thing that I'd say here is that the passage recognizes that there's a time when you remove yourself from a situation because it's not possible to live peaceably with someone. What does it say? Pursue peace with everyone. Paul says in Romans, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Sometimes you have to simply forgive in our heart, release the bitterness, release the debt, understanding that, look, it may not mean that we're ever reconciled, but I choose to forgive. The third objection is, should we never let someone bear the consequences for their sin? No. Sometimes you let people suffer the penalty of their sin. Proverbs 19, 19 says, a hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you have done, uh, uh, you'll have to do it again, right? <laughs> I mean, sometimes people have to suffer the consequences. Parents, at times, we have to do this with our kids, right? Just because we forgive them doesn't mean that, that they don't face the consequences of their sin. It takes wisdom. But while the offender needs to face his sin, what we need to see is that we are still responsible for our response to being sinned against. And that nursing a root of bitterness is only going to add consequences to our sin. And so we replace bitterness with kindness, forgiveness, peace, and holiness. And when that happens, God's part is that he restores your heart. He's able, church, he is able to heal the deepest wounds that you have. The most terrible hurt that you have ever faced. Listen, God is able to heal that. But the healing's not going to begin until you let him rip the root out. survivor of a concentration camp during the Holocaust, Corrie Ten Boom dedicated her life to traveling and teaching about forgiveness, and she told stories of losing her family members in the war and how she released bitterness and anger toward those who harmed them, and she's quoted as saying, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still, and as saying, God will give us the love to be able to forgive our enemies. Well, late in her life, Corey met one of the concentration camp guards when he attended one of her meetings. One of the, the men that guarded her, she met at one of her meetings. And after initially struggling, struggling in that moment, 
she graciously forgave, embraced him, and wept with him. She said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. She said that she had never knew God's love so intensely as she did in that moment. God restored her heart. And church, God wants to restore our hearts tonight. And so I wonder if this invisible burden of bitterness is weighing us down on our journey tonight. Listen, you don't have to carry it any further. God will reveal it to you if you ask him to. He'll reveal it. He can remove it. We'll repent of it. And he can restore us as we replace it with kindness and forgiveness and peace and holiness. So here's your three next steps. You pick one. This is what we're supposed to do. Number one, is this the step you need to take tonight? I will identify a person who has hurt me and set down the baggage of bitterness by beginning to pray for them or for God to help me to pray for them. Is that a step you need to take? Just asking God to help you pray for them. You know, the strength to forgive comes from God and grows when we begin to pray for the person. Just simply putting them on our prayer list or including yourself in this request to God, asking him to give you the courage and the strength, giving him permission to change your heart toward this person. You are going to find that God provides the strength for you to pray for them bit by bit, and then you're going to find yourself willing to pray for them, even to pray blessings upon them. When I was dealing with a really bad case of bitterness several years ago, somebody gave me this book by a guy. It's called Total Forgiveness. I would encourage everybody to read it. Total Forgiveness. And it was in the reading of that book that I recognized, man, I got a lot of bitterness and I have to, I need to forgive in a Christ-like kind of a way. And one of the things he talked about was doing this, pray, begin praying. Be, begin praying for them. And when, you, when you're able to begin praying for God's blessing on them, then you know that God has really done some restoring in your heart. And praise God. God was able to do that during that time in my own heart. Is that the next step you need to take? Next step number two, I will meditate on God's forgiveness and mercy. We began tonight reading from Psalms about the faithful love of God and his forgiveness, putting our sins as far as the east is from the west. Church, I would encourage us tonight, is this the next step you need to take, to, to meditate on God's forgiveness and mercy that he showered on me? Though I have offended him, and will ask him to help me to extend forgiveness and mercy to those who have offended me. 
Consider Jesus and the bitterness of the cross. See the bitter stripes across his back. Consider the the bitter nails that pierced his hands and his feet, the bitter thorns that was crushed into his head, the bitter words of the people around him that wounded his loving heart. And yet in spite of all this bitterness, we hear him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Church, that's grace. And if God has extended his grace to you, ask him to help you to extend that same grace to the one who has wounded you. The third next step is missing a word. Will. I will. I will be on guard pursuing peace and holiness so that when I am hurt, I do not fall short of God's grace that has been extended to me. What's the next step? that you need to take tonight. Let's not carry the bag of bitterness into the next week, into the next season of our life. Would you, would you lay it down tonight at the feet of Jesus? Could we bow our heads for a moment? Just give you a moment to think, to pray, to commit to the next step that the Holy Spirit put on your heart.